Let me uh, first say thank you for being here today. Uh, I know it certainly is a holiday, and it's a little windy, it's a little cold, uh, but you know what? God is with us, and God is moving in this place, and the good news is you have a pastor who understands it's a little cold, understands it's a little windy, and he's not long-winded. So, uh, someone jokingly said, after shortly after the search committee called me, is the fact you're done in 25, 30 minutes is why we liked you. So, <laughs> uh, but as we're here, you know, I, you know, the enemy has attacked us through some wind, through some cold weather, through a guitar being out of tune. But I want to say this: the Word of God is still the star of the show, uh, and the Word of God is going to be read and it's going to be proclaimed this morning. And I believe that the more attacks that we face, and you know, wind and things like that, the greater power we have in the message of the word this morning. Uh, It's certainly nothing that I have to say. It's all what the Bible has to say. And so I am certainly grateful that you are here. I'm grateful that you are devoted enough to be here this morning. And that's what I want to talk to us about today is the idea of devotion. And I just want to ask you this question. What are you devoted to? What are the things in your life that uh, you give a lot of time and attention to? And then I would ask, why are you devoted to those things? And then what is the results of your devotion to those things? This week I was reading about a a young lady named, uh, I I don't know how young she is now, but her name is Sonia Richardson-Ross. If you keep up with the Olympics or with running, you may know her name. Uh, In 2008, in the Beijing Olympics, she competed in the 400-meter dash. She started out as fast as you could be out of the gate, and she was in the lead, but she was coming down the home stretch, and she locked up, and she finished third in the 2008 Beijing Olympics for the 400-meter dash. Well, she was motivated and dedicated to make sure the next time she got the gold medal. So she trained the right way. She was devoted to training the right way. She was devoted to eating the right thing. She was devoted to resting the right way. And her her devotion paid off in a mighty way because four years later, she ran the uh, 449.55 seconds, finishing first place, setting new records, and she was successful. You see, for four years, she committed her life to being devoted to the things that she needed to do so she could have the results that she wanted. Now, everybody here today, you are devoted to something or you're devoted to many things. We're devoted to our families. And the way we serve and treat our families shows our devotion to our families. Uh, we're devoted to, uh, you know, we're devoted to eating great food sometimes. Yeah, I'm always looking for good restaurants and I'm always on the internet. Uh, this coming week and this over the weekend, Jennifer and I have been devoted to moving into a house. And we actually got to sleep there last night. So that was pretty exciting. So we're all devoted to all kinds of things in life. And when we open up the book of Acts, and that's where we'll be today in Acts chapter 2, we see the church, the very first church, the early church, the church in Jerusalem, and we see that they are a devoted gathering of people. That their devotion is comes from a, or their motivation for their devotion comes from the last words of Jesus. 
where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. That's the motivation of the church. They want to fulfill the mission by being devoted disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, they've, they've been with Jesus a really long time. And we, we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night in our devotional. But, you know, Jesus was with them. Jesus was in charge. And Jesus was guiding them for three years. And then he left. He left. And so this group of disciples, and before Pentecost, there was about 120 of them. This group of disciples had to pick up the mantle. They had to pick up the same devotion that Jesus modeled for them. And they had to carry the message, not just to their neighborhood, not just to their city, but to the ends of the earth. And Jesus was with them and empowering them through the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of the context of our passage today is we're coming right out of the events of Pentecost. We're coming right out of the events of Peter standing up in Jerusalem and preaching that powerful message starting in the Old Testament and pointing all the way to Jesus. And 3,000 people in the city are saved. 3,000 people become devoted disciples. And so as that text continues, and as we move into the verses, for, uh, verse 42 and following, we read at how the church was a devoted church. And my goal for us today, and this is just for you and me, my goal is that we would have the same motivation and that we would have the same devotion because we need to be devoted disciples. Devoted disciples of Jesus, committed to making disciples for Jesus, all for the glory of God. So here's what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is where we'll start. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers, all of them were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property, distributed the proceeds to all as they had. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We pray that it would be a light for our feet and a lamp into our path. And Father, we pray today that what we have not, you would give us. What we are not, you would make us. And what we know not, you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So what we see in this passage is that the early church is devoted to four things. Four separate things. The first one is the disciples are devoted to the teaching of God's word. They were devoted to sitting under the teaching of the apostles and the leadership of the church. And you may be thinking, well, what in the world were they teaching? Because you you may know this or or not, the New Testament didn't exist at this time. In fact, Luke's writing one of the books now that's going to be the New Testament. So what in the world were they teaching? Well, you can look back at Pentecost and you can look back and look at some of Paul's. And what you see is that they're teaching Old Testament scripture. They're opening up those Old Testament passages and they're pointing people to Jesus. 
They're saying they're reading it, and they're saying this is how Jesus fulfills this teaching. But remember, it's also the apostles. These are also men and women who are men who were with Jesus during his earthly ministry. So, of course, they're telling people about Jesus. They're saying, hey, this is what happened on this day. This is what happened in this situation. This is what Jesus said. The Great Commission says, teach them all that I have commanded. So the disciples are preaching and teaching everything that Jesus said and did. And, and so you know, the powerful thing is they're teaching God's word. John tells us that, you know, that Jesus is the kind of the embodiment of the word of God. The word was with God. The word is God. And so when they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about God's word. And so that's what they're teaching. And the people are soaking it in. I mean, they love hearing about the word of God. They love learning about those powerful truths. And I just want to say this. All great awakenings throughout history have started or certainly been empowered by good, solid preaching and teaching of God's word. Not of man's opinions, but of God's word. We see this in Acts chapter 2 where 3,000 are saved because Peter preaches the word. We see this in Nehemiah 8 where Nehemiah and, and the, the people are preaching the word of God and the people are begging to hear it. Oh, as a pastor, it would make me happy for people to show up and beg for me to preach. Because we like to preach as long as we're preaching God's word. They have a hunger to hear it. They have a desire to know those deep truths that are found in God's word. The great awakenings. Pastors like John Edwards and George Whitfield and John Wesley and uh, Charles Wesley, they were devoted to preaching God's word. Uh, I believe it was John. It could have been Charles. I can't remember. But I think John Wesley once preached a three-hour sermon. How many would stay for that? See, that's why I said at the beginning you have a short-winded preacher compared to Wesley. Edwards uh, was a little shorter in his preaching, but the Whitfield, these men would preach for hours, sometimes days. And the result of preaching God's word would be hundreds, if not thousands of people were being saved because the word of God is sufficient for salvation. And that's what they're devoted to. You know, we live in a culture and we live in a time where people are searching for truth, right? You've all heard the phrase, this is my truth. This works for me, so it's my truth. What works for you is your truth. I just want you to hear this very clearly. There is only one truth in all of eternity, and it's found in God's Word. I mean, that's it. And And it is sufficient. The Word of God is sufficient for us to teach us, to change us, and to save us. Now... I know there are things in that book we may have a hard time with. There's a lot in that book that the world has a hard time with. Just because we struggle with it doesn't make it any less true. If the Bible says it's a sin, it's a sin. It doesn't really matter what we think. And God knows what is right and what is wrong because He created the universe. And it is so important that we be devoted uh, to, to gathering together on Sunday mornings. This is what we do in worship. We worship together. We pray together. And then we read and hear God's word proclaimed together. It's so vitally important we do that. It's so vitally important that we hear the instructions from God's word. But it's also important in your life. So I would ask you, how much time do you spend in God's word outside of Sundays? How much time are you devoting to personal Bible study? 
How much time are you devoting to the reading and the memorization of Scripture? When you, you know, I, I've struggled with this. A lot of people have struggled with this. But, you know, we have this in us as Christians to wake up early and read and pray. But, you know, have you ever, maybe you're not like this. I'm weak. When that alarm clock goes off, snooze. Snooze. And before you know it, you don't have time. I would love for Christians, myself, first and foremost, to be so passionate and have such a deep desire to read God's Word that I stop hitting the snooze button in the mornings. That I wake up, open my Bibles, pray, and spend time with God. Are you? And if you don't do it in the mornings, do it at lunch, do it at night. But have a desire and be devoted to the preaching of God's Word. The next thing we see is they're devoted to fellowship. Now, I know these are Southern Baptists. Because they enjoyed eating. Read it. With joyous hearts, they were eating. They were fellowshipping. I mean, you know, there's a lot of debate on when Baptists developed, but I think it's pretty clear right here. They're Southern Baptists. They like to eat. They had all things in common. They ate together. I love this word. The word fellowship comes from a Greek word, koinonia. It means communion or close relationship. It is a word used in secular Greek that meant the sharing of goods. But the meaning of the Bible, the deeper spiritual meaning, is it's a group of people with a common bond and a common purpose. Does that sound like the church? Common bond, common purpose. They're bonded together by the gospel of Jesus Christ with the purpose of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let's be clear. We do like to eat, and we like to fellowship, we like to hang out. The men do some great cooking when they cook, and breakfast is always good on Sunday mornings, and it's good fellowship. But what makes fellowship, biblical fellowship, is when we turn our attention to Jesus. We can hang out and watch the ball game, and that's good. We can hang out and go out to eat, and that's good. But what makes it biblical fellowship is when we are focused on the Lord. When we gather together to hang out and to fellowship, and then we pray together, we read God's Word together, and we just have this moment of focusing on Jesus. That's biblical fellowship. And it's good to have biblical fellowship. It is good to gather together uh, to do this. Now, What you see is two ways that this is happening. It's happening in a big way, and it's happening in a small way. The big way is they're gathering together at the temple. That's kind of like the Sunday morning worship service. Now, it's hard for me to know how many people are really in these large gatherings. Assuming that all 3,000 people stayed in Jerusalem, which they didn't. We know they went. Uh, but if, if all 3,000 stayed, then all 3,000 are not being are able to gather at the temple. It's just not big enough. But we do know at some point they're having large gatherings. The church is gathering. They're getting instructions from the preachers. You know, the purpose of the Sunday morning worship is to worship, to pray, and to get instructions from the Word of God. But it's also the fellowship is small. They're going house to house. Don't miss that smallness of the church. Uh, I heard it said this, and I think it's right on. The church in Jerusalem is one church with satellite campuses all throughout the city. Because more likely than not, each of the individual houses is where the majority of the church was meeting. There wasn't a big enough space, and there is some localized persecution. 
Okay, so they're meeting in homes. Don't miss that about fellowship. That it is a small group atmosphere. We are starting Sunday school in two weeks. Amen. We are getting it going. And I just want to tell you how important it is for you to be in a class. To have that small, intimate time of fellowship where your class can grow in a spiritual way together. You know, there's really no way in a church our size that we can really know everybody on a very deep and intimate level. We can know people, but not in a very deep, deep way. That's the importance of the small fellowship. Building lifelong relationships where we can pray together and work together and study God's Word together. And if you're not plugged into a Sunday school class, or if you weren't, I want to challenge you in two weeks, get plugged in. Don't just, you know, take the next step. You know, go beyond the Sunday morning worship and go deeper in your faith by fellowshipping with a smaller group of believers. And so we're really excited about that. And I challenge all of you to be here and to be a part of that. The, uh, the next thing that we see is the disciples are devoted to worship. You see this in the breaking of the bread. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting in the temple and to and they broke bread from house to house. Now, I call this worship because it's really talking about the Lord's Supper. And that is an act of worship. But I want you to know what they did. Because this ties into fellowship too. This would have started as these big meals together with the church. And what did I tell you? It's not. It goes to biblical fellowship when we focus on Jesus. So they would gather on the Lord's Day, Sunday afternoons, and the church would eat together. But before the main dish, they would have the Lord's Supper. They would take time to say, let's focus on Jesus. That's how the Lord's Supper was done early in church history. It was a part of a grand banquet or a grand meal that the church was having together. Now, I just think that's awesome. I think today we could do that, and I think today it would be awesome, but just celebrating the Lord's Supper is an act of worship as we gather together. But another thing I want you to see about worship is all of them were together. Don't miss this. Young people, old people, together in worship. Men and women, together in worship. Youth and children and adults together in worship. Al Mohler says something very profound about children in worship. And I'm going to quote a sermon from, of his. Al Mohler says that children are to be welcomed by Christ's people. Our churches should not be places where the people cannot wait to put children away in their own space so we can get to the task of adult worship. I want you to hear that very clearly, and I want you to hear it again. Churches should not be a place where the people cannot wait to put children away in their own spaces to get to the adult task of worship. Muller continues, one of the greatest scandals of evangelicalism is we send people to their rooms when we get to church. Now, Moeller will go on to say he is not preaching against Sunday school. He is not preaching against children's ministry. He's not talking about uh, those things. He thinks that children's Sunday school is important. He thinks children's ministry is important. But he's talking about Sunday morning worship. And he says that, you know, when people look at the church worshiping on Sunday morning, they ought to see the church. 
And that includes the youth and the children of the church. I always heard this. The, the youth are the future. The youth are the future. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're the church. The youth and children are the church, and they should be with us when we gather to worship. I experienced this in a pretty powerful way several years ago. And my outlook on this changed drastically. And I've told this story to a few of you. Many years ago, I was on a mission trip, and we were in Honduras. It had been a pretty rough week for me. That's when I'd ended up in the hospital and had kidney stones. But in one of the days where I was pain-free, I was able to go to a local church in a village. And when I say village, we're talking mud hut villages. No running water, no indoor bathrooms, a village. The poorest of poor. And we were able to go to church with these Honduran people. There were about 50, maybe 60, 70 of us there. Men, women, young, old, youth, and children. Now, maybe it was because I had not slept very much, but I, I wasn't in that great of a mood, to be honest with you. And then when the 20 or so children started running, started playing, talking, screaming, crying, I got a little irritated. You might be able to relate to that. I got a little irritated. And I remember thinking, this is such a distraction. How can we worship? And I remember thinking, how can this be reverent and honoring God? And then something happened that changed my view forever. Because at the end of that service, several members were saved, including several of those children. And I remember thinking about that that night, and I learned two things. One, God's Word is extremely powerful. Children are going to think like children. Children are going to reason like children. Children are going to play and act like children, and that should be celebrated. But the Word of God will do something that I can't do as a preacher. It can penetrate the hearts of those children. And it can work in them, and the Spirit can work in them in ways that we don't know. One of the kids that got saved ran around the whole time. I didn't think he was listening at all. But the Word of God has power to transform that young man's life. Second thing I learned. Church, listen to me. The wiggling and the squirming of children. The noise of children. I love seeing them out here on the playground. I love it. And the noise of children is far better than the deafening silence of no children at all. Don't miss that. As a church, we need to welcome the squirming, welcome the wiggling, welcome the children and the youth. And you may be saying, well, Pastor, why are you bringing it up now? Well, one, it's in the text because they're all together in the temple. Children would have been in there worshiping with their parents and with their families. They would have been acting like children. But the other reason I brought it up is when you called me to be your pastor, you called a youth and children's pastor. My passion is to see the next generation transformed by the gospel. To see the next generation worshiping and, and, and surrendering their life to Jesus. I mean, that, that's what you have. I want to see families together in worship. I want to see them 
singing and praying together. I want to see children and youth seeing the oldest member of this church worshiping. I want them to see it. I want them to hear it. Because that's how the next generation is going to learn how to follow Jesus. And so the early church was together. And we as a church in the you know 2021 need to be a church that welcomes young people into our worship environment, into our sanctuaries, outside, inside. We shouldn't send them to the rooms. They should worship with us. Because they are the church. And the word of God can transform those children like it can transform us. Let us be a church. Let all the churches be churches that welcome young people. It's been said, we are always one generation away from really no church at all. If we don't reach the young people with the gospel, if we don't include them, if we don't love them and pour into them, they won't be here when they graduate. They won't be here. And so let's model our church after the early church where we worship together. We worship together. Then the the last thing is the disciples are devoted to prayer. They're devoted to the word of God. They're devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to worship. They're devoted to prayer. They were praying and they were praising God. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this because next Sunday we'll start a four-week series on prayer. But what I want you to see here is that they are together and they are praying for each other. They are praying for the gospel to advance. Prayer is a thing that they are devoted to. If someone says, hey, I need you to pray for me, they prayed for them on the spot. That's how I imagine it. They would gather in their Sunday school classes or their home groups and they would pray together. They saw the importance of communicating with God. They saw the importance of depending upon God. They saw the importance of asking people to pray. I, I, I don't know. I, you might, you know, this might just be me, but somebody says, how are you doing today? Good, good, good. When in reality, I'm not always good. Or you say, how can I pray for you? Oh, I'm good, I, I'm good. You know, there's a lot of reasons we put on that, 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 that mask and we put on that you know, show of we're good, we're strong. One of them is pride. We, we don't want to humble ourselves to ask for prayer. This, they prayed for each other and they asked for prayer. If somebody was having a bad day, they talked to each other about it. That's what our small groups are for. Where you can be in a group of people that are, or Sunday school class where you pray for each other. Listen, we need each other to get through this life in this world. We need each other to pray for each other and to encourage each other. I know there are uh, you know, several people who pray for Graham and I constantly. And we are so grateful for that because we need it. And I want you to know that we're praying for you. I pray for all of you. I go through our membership list and I lift you up in prayer weekly. Because prayer is important and that is what we should be devoted to. We should be devoted to spending time in prayer. Because the early church was and God desires it. Now as we end the passage, the results of their devotion was the advancement of the gospel. Their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ in these four areas led to more people being 
saved. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. God honored their faithfulness and God honored their devotion. God used the church to do what the church was always intended to do, and that's to spread the gospel. Listen, when Jesus left, plan A was the church. You know, Jesus wasn't sitting up there with God one day and said, how are we going to get this message out when you leave? Well, I don't know. We could do this. We could do... No, no, no. Plan A was the church, and there's not a plan B. You need to hear that. For the gospel to advance, the church has to do what the church has been called to do. And when we're devoted to these four things, the word of God, fellowship, worship, and prayer, then God will honor that and work in us and through us and people will be saved. So here's here's the invitation today. It's simply a challenge to take the next steps. Okay? Maybe you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Take the next step. Give your life to the Lord. Repent of your sins and come to Him and follow Him. And maybe you've done that. Take the next step and be baptized if you've never been baptized. If you've been following Jesus and you've never been baptized, uh, you know, dunked in the water, take the next step. If you've been attending our worship service, man, we love you. We love that you're here. Take the next step into Sunday school when we start back. Take the next step in your spiritual journey. And so during the invitation, as we stand and as we worship, your your, your challenge is to pray about the next steps in your life. Ask God to reveal to you in your heart, what do I need to do next? Do I need to join the church? Do I need to be saved? Do I need to be baptized? Do I need to join a class? Take the next steps. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, help us to be devoted Christians. Devoted to seeking and and reading your word and applying it to our life. Devoted to the fellowship of the church. Devoted to the worship of Almighty God. And devoted to prayer. Help us today to take the next steps that you would have us to take. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that the Lord has spoke to your heart and has blessed you through this message. If you would like more information about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please reach out to us at one of the following locations. You can visit us online at chinagrovef.com bc.com slash salvation or check us out on Facebook facebook.com slash China Grove FBC thank you and have a blessed rest of the day